From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Wade Menezes. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Tuesday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to Excuse me, EWTN's open line. Father Wade Menezes is in the house. If you'd like to talk to Father Wade, the number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, perhaps you're in Portugal, the land of (laughs) Father Wade's ancestry. We would love to hear from you. That number is one. 205-271-2985, and we will even put you straight to the front of the line at 1-205-271-2985. You can always send us an email. That email address is openline at EWTN.com. I'm Jack Williams, Michael McCall, producing the program. Your call screener is Matt Gubensky, and Ace McKay is our celebrity social media maven today. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window, and Ace will float it our way, perhaps, and we might hear that question come up later in the program. And our host, as he is every Tuesday, the aforementioned Father Wade Menezes, talking faith, family, and fellowship, and I don't think there's anything about the Catholic walk that doesn't fall at least somewhat under one of those categories, huh? That's right. That's exactly right. Living your faith, living your life, and living both well, huh? Now, Jack, quick question. Do the Portuguese always get put to the front of the line? I think that's what you just said, if I'm not mistaken. (laughs) On Tuesday. On Tuesday, anyway. Okay, and if they're calling live, you bet they do. (laughs) If Our Lady of Fatima calls, we will make sure we get her straight to the front of the line. Oh, amen to that. She has an additional message for you. uh, (laughs) Oh, she talks to me frequently, believe me. (laughs) You know, um, I wish we had the the music rights to Boston's music catalog. Oh, uh, there you go. Because uh, there's a great song that would fit your springboard today. That's right. Don't look back. A new day's breaking. Learning to let go of your sins is the title of today's springboard. Learning to let go of your sins. And I'm hoping for some fantastic witness calls today, Jack. And what prompted me to do this springboard topic today, learning to let go of your sins, is a wonderful short meditation in this month's Magnificat magazine uh, from Father Donald Haggerty, a priest of the Archdiocese of New York. No stranger uh, to us here at EWTN. He's that's appeared, right. Appeared that's on the right. He, many times. That's right. And he says this, learning to let go of your sins, and with the subtitle, I desire mercy. And don't we all, right? Listen to this. He says, a persistent feeling of guilt for past moral failures, even after repentance, keeps some people permanently oppressed in soul, always drawing back at the marred look and disfigurement they see in their own faces. But it cannot be a fruitful sorrow for sin when a soul never leaves a depressing remembrance of their past as though it, the forgiven sin, still held the soul in chains. Whenever this happens, divine mercy is not truly known then except as a mere abstraction. You know, 
my Ten Commandments for those who might suffer from scrupulosity echoes this, Jack, in number five of the Ten Commandments. And our listeners can, can print out my Ten Commandments for those who might suffer from scrupulosity at fathersofmercy.com. When Father Haggerty says, it cannot be a fruitful sorrow for sin when a soul never leaves a depressing remembrance of the past as though it, the forgiven sin, still held the soul in chains, I say in number five of my Ten Commandments for those who might suffer from scruples this, quote, the Holy Spirit does not torment us with doubt and or guilt. Rather, he always brings peace as he awakens our conscience to our sins and we confess them. This is uh, in reference to 2 Corinthians 7, verses 10 and 11, wherein we read these words. Indeed, sorrow for God's sake produces a repentance without regrets or sorrow leading to salvation, whereas worldly sorrow brings death. Just look now at the fruit of this sorrow which stems from God, and what a measure of holy zeal and happiness it has brought you. But see, when we hang on to the sin, we don't experience that holy zeal and happiness. We stay trapped, like Father Haggerty says, in the sorrow. And when that happens, divine mercy is not truly known except as a mere abstraction. He continues, he says this, Perhaps this overly sensitive remembrance of one's past sins is a form of self-conscious unworthiness that appeals to certain souls, but it misses a certain truth about God and is an obstacle to serious relations with him. God certainly does not cling to the past as human souls at times do. He does not examine our past sins over and over again. On the contrary, he wants the remembrance of any former sin simply to compel our soul to a clear recognition of his divine mercy working in our lives. And that awareness is meant for one thing, to make our soul uniquely fortified for the effort of seeking the conversion of other souls in need. In other words, Jack, because we know we've been forgiven, we've gone to confession, we've confessed the sin, especially the mortal sin especially the most hideous and wicked mortal sin. We've confessed it. We've accepted that. We've, we've embraced God's mercy. Now we can give that gift to others and help them experience the same thing. Listen again to Father Haggerty's last line of his short meditation in this month's Magnificat. And that awareness is meant for one thing, to make our soul uniquely fortified for the effort of seeking the conversion of other souls who are also in need. How beautiful is that? So indeed, Jack, as you intimated with the Boston hit, don't look back. Don't look back on your past sins once you've confessed them. Move forward. Don't look back. And I've I've mentioned this next little part before on Open Line Tuesday, but it's worth repeating because it coalesces so well with Father Haggerty's meditation that I just shared from Magnificat. Uh, Luke 9, verse 62 Jesus himself says, quote, No one who puts a hand to the plow and yet keeps looking back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. In other words, we got to move forward, right? And so I want our listeners today to call in, if, if they feel compelled by the Holy Spirit, to give a witness as to how maybe in the past they did hang on to their past sin, even once they confessed it, venial or mortal, and then they finally had an epiphany, an awakening, a manifestation of God's mercy, and then they finally let the thing go. They don't have to tell us what the sin was. I'm not asking for a broadcast confession. That wouldn't be valid anyway, Jack. Uh, So I'm not asking for particulars about the confession or particulars about the sin. I want to know simply about 
the situation when you had the epiphany. Maybe it was a homily you heard. Maybe it was uh, during a holy hour uh, at your parish's Eucharistic Adoration Chapel. Maybe it was a Divine Mercy Sunday event that you went to, and you benefited from the extraordinary grace. Whatever it was, um, we need to have witnesses uh, that, that can share with us when they have this awakening to let go of their past already forgiven mortal sins. And precisely because of that fact, they're already forgiven, they received absolution, they let them go and move forward. So again, don't look back on your past sins. Once you've confessed them, move forward. Luke again, 9, verse 62, no one who puts a hand to the plow and yet keeps looking back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Philippians 3.13 St. Paul says, I focus on this one thing and one thing only, forgetting the past and looking forward to only what lies ahead. Amen to that, St. Paul. How about 2 Peter 2, verse 22? Easy passage to remember with all those twos, Jack. 2 Peter, second letter of Peter, chapter 2, verse 22. Listen to this, quote, Do not be like a dog that keeps returning to its own vomit quoting Proverbs 26, 11, nor be like a sow that after washing returns to wallow in her mire. Don't do these things to yourself. God's divine mercy doesn't will you to do that. Huh? John 8, 11, Jesus says to the woman caught in adultery after he asks her, woman, where have they all gone? Is no one left here to condemn you? And she responds, no one, sir. And he says to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Go. Now, Jack, when you tell someone to go, you tell them in that one word, go, you're telling them to go forward, not backwards. Go. If I say go to the store, I'm saying go forward to the store, not go away from the store, but go forward to it. And then Isaiah from the Old Testament, chapter 12, verse 2, I will go forward confidently now and will no longer be afraid. God is the source of my strength, the tower of my defense. The Lord has made himself my protector. Isaiah 12, verse 2. I go forward confidently now. Let, let's break that word down. I've done it before on Open Line Tuesday. The word confidence or confident, uh, con fide, means with, con fide, faith. To be confident in something or to have confidence in something is precisely to be with faith in that same something. So listen to what Isaiah the prophet is saying now after he has his, has his revelation. He says, I will go forward confidently now and will no longer be afraid. I will go forward with faith now and will no longer be afraid. God is the source of my strength, the tower of my defense. The Lord has made himself my protector. Give us a call today, live listeners. Tell us what your epiphany was to finally move forward toward a life of grace. 833-288-EWTN. It's Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade Menezes. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. You know, this month's devotion is to Our Lady of Sorrows, and we ask Mary to pray for us so that we can unite ourselves to her sorrow in the hope that we will one day also share her joy in triumph of her son. 
Join us in the devotion to Mary and strengthen our connection to Our Lady with rosaries, statues, bracelets, holy cards, prayer booklets, and more. All of that's available for you at EWTN's Religious Catalog. That's EWTNRC.com. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. First up today is Neil in Seattle, Washington, listening on Sacred Heart Radio. Neil, you are on with Father Wade. Father Wade, I feel bad. I asked my question before you told me to call in with my epiphany. So I'll I'll tell you my epiphany. I, I struggled with not forgiving myself, uh, but then I went to confession and told that to the priest, and he said, well, that's the devil's work. If you don't forgive yourself, you're going to continue to think that you're not worthy of God's forgiveness, and that will just drive you further and further away from the church. So that was my epiphany. To I, I never, I always forgive myself, and I don't let them linger anymore. Well, that's great, Neil. Neil, you know, you're you're touching upon something that's extremely important. The church teaches that whatever sins we confess in the confessional, uh, mortal or venial. Uh, special graces come to that very area to heal us. It's like a salve, precisely because we've confessed the area, whatever it is. Those graces act like a salve to heal us in that area. So you not only confessed your sins of that particular confessional time period since your previous confession from the one that day that you just mentioned, you not only confessed the sins, properly speaking, of that last confessional period, but you also confessed the fact that you don't always forgive yourself and move forward. And so graces came to that. And that's a great thing. Now, that latter point, that, that you don't always forgive yourself, usually the person isn't doing that with, with full intent. So at most it's venial, and maybe it's not even venial. It could be just a fault that you have of not moving forward in the spiritual life. But regardless, you mentioned it. And even if it was just venial, or even if it was just a fault and not even venial, the fact that you told the confessor that day, and Father, by the way, I, I don't always move forward once I've, I've confessed my sins. I kind of still hang on to them. And he gave you some spiritual direction or dare I say spiritual correction on, in that regard, he actually guided you, and graces from your very mentioning that acted as a salve to help you move forward and be healed. Just like when we, you know, we apply a salve or an ointment to a wound, that wound begins to heal. And so you're, you're given a great example there. So, so thank you so much for mentioning that, despite the fact that you actually um, uh, called us about another point. What's the other point you wanted to mention or, or ask us about? Well, I've been struggling with a. We as Catholics don't haven't condemned or judged anyone to know anyone in hell other than the devil. But in the Nicene Creed, we call out uh, uh, Pontius Pilate by name as he's the one that punished. So I'm struggling on why we are after Pontius Pilate <laughs> in the Creed. Well, re remember the whole context there in, in the Nicene Creed from 325 AD, he suffered under Pontius Pilate. In other words, it was, it was Pontius Pilate's command that sent Jesus officially uh, to Golgotha, to, to die on the cross for us. You know, it's a very, very dramatic scene. You know, uh, Pilate doesn't necessarily want to do it. You know, uh, it, it's very, very powerful. Uh, John chapter 18, I want to begin here uh, with... Um, with number 33, verse number 33, John chapter 18. It was then that Pilate went back into the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Tell me now and tell me plainly, are you or are you not the king of the Jews? 
Jesus answered him, Is that your idea, or did others talk to you about me? Pilate replied, Am I a Jew? Look, your own people and chief priests have handed you over to me. Tell me what it is you have done. Jesus said to him in reply, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Pilate replied to him, saying, So you are a king then? Jesus answered him, It is you who say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. And everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And Pilate retorted, Truth, what is truth? It's a very, very dramatic scene. But it's because the people keep uprising, uprising, uprising. And this is seen very vividly in Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ. Uh, the people are uprising there uh, in, in, in the Praetorium wall, within the Praetorium walls. And, and Pilate's getting scared. He knows that they're going to report him if he doesn't do this, right? So he, he gives in, but yet at the same time, he wants to wash his hands of this man's death. And so he washes his hands, literally, literally, but symbolically, that he wants nothing to do with this man's death because there's nothing he can pinpoint Jesus on. So he suffered under Pontius Pilate. It's a part of history, Neil. You know, it's, it's something that's very, very important, and we want to understand that this was historical fact. And so it's actually a great thing that it's mentioned. In it. You know, the creed gives us some, I think it's, it depends on how you break them in, break them down and count them, but it's some 47 plus truths of our one holy Catholic and apostolic faith. What do you think of that? Some 47 plus truths, again, depending on how you break them down. But uh, it's a very, very powerful historical creed with lines like that. Great question, Neil. Thank you so much for calling in today. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. A couple of open lines and still plenty of time for your calls at 833-288-3986. John is in Lafayette, Louisiana, listening on Christ Our King Radio. John, you're on with Father Wade. Hey, Father Wade. How are you? Doing great, John. Boy, I can hear that Lafayette accent, and you're, and you're asking me how hey, I'm doing. You. You actually, you actually have met me already, and I've met you already. You came and did a mission at St. Peter's Parish in your Iberia. Oh, yes, many great years parish. ago. Yeah, great parish. Yes. great parish. Well, thank you, John, for contacting us today. What can we do for you? Uh, okay, I just want to share a little quick story with you. I was working for Catholic Charities, minding my own business, heading to Little Kaya, Louisiana, which is south of Homer. And on my way there, I passed this little chapel many times, and one of the times I passed, I heard this interior voice say, well, are you going to stop? And mm -hmm. so I pulled over, and I stopped, and sure enough, a lady was there and told me all about Divine Mercy, which I wasn't familiar with at the time. And it was a life-changing thing for me, and to the point where I spent all my time helping unborn babies, survive abortion, and I am founder and one of the founders and board member of a pregnancy center in New Iberia, which we started six years ago. Oh, beautiful, John. What so, important work. Uh, what important it's, it's work. It's been fantastic. <laughs> and and his, his way of doing things is a lot better than mine. And my final comment is this before all this, I couldn't understand why they'd sing that silly song at 2 o'clock every afternoon on uh, 
EWTN. I thought he was. Uh, Why they saying that? <laughs> Little did are I know. Are you referring? Are, are you referring to the? Ch- are you referring, John, to the chanting <laughs> the chaplain, of the chaplain? Yeah, yeah, the chaplain. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, now you know, brother. Now you know. <laughs> I know. I know a lot better, and I share it as often as I can. Y'all have a good day, gentlemen. Thank you, John. What a great witness call. Thank you so much. Yeah, the chaplet doesn't have to be chanted. Uh, Recited, it only takes about six or seven minutes to pray. It's a beautiful prayer. Uh, Do it while walking. Do it while driving. In fact, it can calm you greatly while driving. And, uh, you know, it's just a beautiful, beautiful prayer that that has the full approbation of the Church uh, given to our Lord given by our Lord, excuse me, to St. Faustina Kowalska, the Divine Mercy Seer. So thank you so much, John. We really appreciate your call. Next stop for us is Novi, Michigan. Catherine is in Novi today listening to us on uh, Sirius XM Channel 130. When I was a younger man in high school and college in the Lansing area, whenever I would drive to downtown Detroit, Novi was a landmark. I knew I was almost there. Catherine, you're on with Father Wade. No, thank you. Uh, Father Wade, it's a comment that led into a question from your other callers. So um, if I, in the past, have had um, um, confessions, and I've gone to the priest, but sometimes I'd come out of there thinking, oh, I was so vague because I was kind of embarrassed about my my sins, I wonder if I really am forgiven. And so it kind of is along the lines of what you're saying about, you know, wondering if I'm really forgiven from what I'd gone through. And then again with the Divine Mercy, one year I was at Divine Mercy um, Sunday, and the priest said to, to all of us, you know, Divine Mercy Sunday is a day with the indulgences that it's almost as if you're newly baptized. He said, because you're free from all your sins. So that was my aha moment when I knew that even though I was vague, that I was still forgiven by, by our Lord for my sins from that. But my question that leads into that is, um, so are we forgiven whether we go to confession or not on Divine Mercy well, Sunday? Great question, Catherine, and, and I want to refer you to the Marians of the Immaculate Conception, which have a whole section of their website just dedicated to Divine Mercy Sunday, properly speaking, and the questions that are asked about the extraordinary grace versus the plenary indulgence. So for those items, I direct you there, the Marians of the Immaculate Conception. But I will tell you this— First of all, you got to you got to simper distingue. You got to always distinguish. First of all, your question revolves around the reality of mortal sin because remember, venial sins don't need to be taken to the confessional. It, you're welcome to take venial sins to the confessional, but you don't have to. There's other ways that venial sins are forgiven, like the penitential rite at mass, for example. Now, uh, if you take venial sins to confessional, of course they're forgiven. And if you exit the confessional thinking, gee, I did, I was kind of vague about that sin, and you know it was venial, don't worry about it, because it didn't have to go to the confessional to begin with. There's other ways that they're forgiven, like making a perfect act of contrition or an imperfect act of contrition. And I talk about this in Overcoming the Evil Within, the chapter on confession. What's the difference between a perfect act of contrition and an imperfect act of, of contrition? So your question revolves around mortal sin. Now, we are always bound to confess Mortal sins according to kind and approximate number. Kind and approximate number. Without a lot of great or graphic detail. The only third element we have to confess with mortal sins is any circumstance that makes the already mortal sin objectively more grave. But even that doesn't have to be explained in greater graphic detail. Confession is not about greater graphic detail. Again, I I want to refer you to my book, the chapter on confession, the book titled Overcoming the Evil Within, 
the reality of sin and the transforming power of God's grace and mercy. So if I confess one time a physical altercation with a person that was so bad that I sent them to the hospital, that needs to be confessed. But I don't need to confess all the particulars about that altercation, where it took place, what precipitated. I I don't need to go there. If I feel the need to talk about those things, I'll set up an appointment with spiritual direction. What I'm about to confess is kind and approximate number. Uh, One time, a physical altercation with a person that's sent in the hospital. Now, thirdly, if I know that person was my brother or brother-in-law, that makes it objectively more grave because of the family bond. We'll continue this when we get back. It's EWTN's Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade Menezes. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Congratulations going out to another member of the EWTN Radio family. St. Therese Radio in Abilene, Kansas is celebrating eight years on the air with EWTN programming. Congratulations to Kate Wilson and her whole team at KGIH Radio from your friends here at EWTN. And we're talking to Catherine in Novi, Michigan about... Are you really forgiven if you were maybe a little vague when you made your confession? And that's a great question. And although the onus is always on the priest confessor to ask for any clarifications he might need to know exactly what it is you were confessing, and he does that without a morbid curiosity, without any type of of morbid curiosity about the sin itself, but it could be that he sincerely has a a clarifying question he has to ask you, Um, he he will ask you that, and you simply answer the question. Uh, But but he shouldn't have to ask a clarifying question if you're clear according to kind and approximate number, and thirdly and lastly, if it's present, it may not be present, any militating circumstance that makes the already mortal sin objectively more grave. And why or how, excuse me, would you know if that third element is present or not, that this, this militating circumstance that makes the already mortal sin objectively more grave? How will you know if it's present or not? By having made a good what before you even walk into the confessional. That's right, a good examination of conscience, right? A good examination of conscience. But all that's required for confession to be forgiven is you confess mortal sin I'm talking about. Kind, approximate number, and thirdly, if it's present, it may not be present, but if it is, you confess it also just very simply in a simple phrase or sentence, and that's it. Uh, Any militating circumstance that makes the already mortal sin objectively more grave. The older theological textbooks called this the changing of the specie of the sin. So I could confess one time a physical altercation that was so bad on my part towards the individual that it actually put them in the hospital. That's it. Kind and approximate number. One time this happened, a physical altercation that was bad enough that sent the person to the hospital. But if I know that that person was my brother or brother-in-law or a cousin, let's say, then I have to mention that simply, again, without a lot of greater graphic detail. Why? Because it makes the already mortal sin of doing that objectively more grave because it involves the family bond, huh? It involves the family bond. So I would, in that case, say, I need to confess one time, Father, a a physical altercation that was so bad it actually sent the person to the hospital. Oh, and by the way, Father, that person was my cousin. That's it. There's no need for great or graphic detail. Now, if, if you can do that, 
then you go to Divine Mercy Sunday already know, knowing that your mortal sins are all forgiven, and you're going to Divine Mercy Sunday simply for the extraordinary grace of, of receiving the plenary indulgence and the extraordinary grace, which simply means uh, you can still have the attachment to, to venial sin. That's what makes it extraordinary, where with the plenary indulgence, you, you're not to have an attachment to sin still. That, that's what makes Divine Mercy Sunday so extraordinary. And again, I want to uh, refer our listeners to the Marians of the Immaculate Conception at their website. I said that they had a section of their website, Jack, dedicated just to Divine Mercy uh, Sunday. No, they've got a website just for Divine Mercy Sunday questions. It's titled thedivinemercy.org, thedivinemercy.org. And it's the most frequently asked questions about Divine Mercy Sunday and the Divine Mercy Devotion. So great question. Thank you so much. Remember, uh, we want to be able to go to Divine Mercy Sunday already having practiced regular confession. Don't make Divine Mercy Sunday the, the end-all of end-all of your spiritual life, as wonderful as God's mercy is. You should be going to confession regularly, at least faithfully, once every six to eight weeks. I'm a big advocate of once every four weeks, 12 times a year. Why is that? Because... I'm convinced that the culture is just too um, challenging today. It's too secularistic. It's too humanistic. Uh, whether one be single or married or a consecrated priest, brother, or sister, it, does, it doesn't matter. The, the, the culture is too challenging today. And if we go 12 times a year, once a month, then chances are your monthly confession will only be venial sins. Why? It's precisely the, the action of a faithful monthly confession that's keeping you away per se, from mortal sin, and that's a beautiful thing. And I've said it many times before on Open Line Tuesday. I'll say it again. A great time to remember to go each month is around the first Friday or around the first Saturday. Usually those two days are side by side, but, usually, but sometimes they can be a week apart like they were a few months ago. Uh, but, but first Friday in honor of the Sacred Heart, first Saturday in honor of the Immaculate Heart, good time to remember to go to confession. Thank you, Catherine, for a, a great question. We really appreciate your call today. Still time for your calls and a couple of open lines at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Kimberly is a first-time caller in Bismarck, North Dakota, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Kimberly, you are on with Father Wade. Hi, Father. Thanks for t- taking my call. Hey, so I wanted to just uh, tell about my epiphany moment where I was finally able to let go of sin. So I'm actually a recent, recent convert to Catholicism. Okay. Well, um, I was confirmed this Easter. Oh, beautiful. Um, so a couple months now. Um, but before that, I had grown up in the Baptist tradition, and specifically, like, Reformed Baptist. So I believed that, like, all of your sins were covered the moment you believed in God. Um, but there were some sins that I committed um, that I just felt so guilty about that I eventually, for a couple of years, just didn't even go to church because I felt like there was no way God loved me. Um, and all of that shame and guilt went away um, in two different moments. One was the first time I prayed a novena to Mary. Um, one of the intentions was to uh, forgive myself for these sins and I was holding the rosary with the crucifix in my hand, and I looked at the crucifix, and Mary said to me, the reason why you're struggling to forgive yourself is because you don't have enough faith in what he did for you on the cross. Mm -hmm. So that was the first moment, and the second moment was my first confession, hearing the priest say, your sins are forgiven, go in peace. Um, So ever since that, you know, I went from being Protestant and being like, why would you tell a priest your sins when you can just tell God? 
to being so thankful that Jesus made it possible for us to have like a concrete moment where our sins are forgiven. Yes, where, where the intellect is, is, the intellect knows and the will chooses to accept this great, great gift. And you know, as, as you know, Kimberly, from your, your good formation in entering the Catholic Church, we can go straight to God for our venial sins, but mortal sins require the sacrament, ordinarily speaking. There are extraordinary ways that mortal sins are forgiven. For example, if one is in a car accident and they're put in ICU with all kinds of apparatus on them because they're in a coma, let's say, from the car accident, and the priest comes to ICU to give them the um, anointing of the sick because they're near death, in that extraordinary circumstance, the anointing of the sick wipes away mortal sins. And then should the person recover, praise God, from that accident, they would still be bound to confess verbally anything that they know they've never verbally taken to a previous confession. But should they not recover, the sacrament of the anointing of the sick uh, does double as confession in that regards. But that's, that's an extraordinary means of mortal sins being forgiven. The ordinary means for mortal sins being forgiven is through the sacrament of penance. And uh, you're right, you touch upon something very important. That priest, when he says the absolvote, the I absolve you, when he says that, he's speaking the words of Christ through his own bride, the church which he founded, to the penitent. It's the priest acting in persona Christi Capitis, in the person of Christ the head. And you hear those words, and you know, quote, end quote, you know, or you literally know that you are forgiven because those words have been imparted to you. How, how beautiful is that? Uh, Kimberly, one question. It sounds like uh, the, the, the Catholic parish you came into the church through, correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds like they accepted your prior uh, Reformed Baptist baptism, that your, your former uh, Baptist baptism was considered valid by the Catholic Church. So all you needed to do at the Easter Vigil was receive the Sacrament of Confirmation and the Sacrament of the Holy Eucharist. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Beautiful, beautiful. So you would have been bound then to confess at your first confession, which would have taken place before the Easter Vigil. Uh, you would have been bound to confess uh, any mortal sins that you committed from after your baptism in the Baptist Church, whatever age you were in the Baptist Church when you received the Baptist baptism, uh, up to the time that you entered the Church, you, you would be bound to confess any mortal sins between those two bookends. Uh, how old were you when you entered the, the Baptist Church? Uh, when you were, excuse me, when you were baptized in the Baptist Church? Um, I think I was like 14. Um, okay. I was baptized by my dad, who's a Baptist pastor, actually. Okay, so. w wonderful. Wow. And so let's say you enter the church at 24, let's just say that. You would be bound to confess, and I, and I say this not for your benefit, I say this for listeners so they can understand the church's teaching here. Um, you came in at, you were baptized at 14 in the Reformed Baptist Church. You entered the Catholic Church uh, at the Easter Vigil at age 24, you would be only bound to confess any known mortal sins, grave matter done with fullness of knowledge and done with deliberate consent of your will, the three elements necessary for a mortal sin to be present. You would only be required to confess at your first confession, just prior to the Easter Vigil, any known mortal sins, after making a good examination of your conscience, any known mortal sins of that 10-year period. Because when you were baptized at age 14, 
any mortal sins you committed from the age of reason around age seven up to 14 would have been wiped away by virtue of the baptism. Because the baptism, the sacrament of baptism, wipes away not only the original sin, it also wipes away any personal sin or actual sin, venial or mortal. Personal sin and actual sin are synonyms with one another. It's called actual sin because the person actually did it. Uh, it's called personal sin because the person actually did it. And what is actual sin or mortal sin? It's simply, uh, what is actual sin or, or personal sin, excuse me? It's, it's either mortal or venial. And that would have been forgiven at age 14, all of your sins, when you were baptized in, in the Baptist church. And then 10 years later, let's say you're 24, when you come to the church, the Catholic church, the church accepted that, that prior baptism. Because we do acknowledge the goodness and validity of the Trinitarian baptism in our Protestant brothers and sisters. Uh, ecclesial communities, canon law calls them. Uh, this is proof that our Protestant brothers and sisters do bear elements of the truth, like, like a valid Trinitarian baptism. We thank you so much today, Kimberly, for calling us in here on Open Line Tuesday. Please continue to be a listener, and God bless you for a great witness call. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Be sure to join us for EWTN News Nightly tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. The stories we're covering tonight, President Biden joins the United Auto Workers picket line in Michigan, and Christian Armenians are fleeing in mass numbers the Nagorno-Karabakh region, and uh, we have the latest on that entire situation. Um, simply tune in tonight to EWTN News Nightly, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on EWTN Radio and Television. Next up is Mike, a first-time caller in Albany, New York, listening at Pox at Bonham Radio. Mike, you are on with Father Wade. Hey, Father. I, I, just a quick thing when you mentioned about the, the Baptist baptism. I, I thought they only said uh, they baptize in the name of Jesus. So would that not be valid? Oh, you're you're, you're talking work? about, and some, and some might, Mike. This is why it's up to the Catholic pastor who's welcoming in the RCIA God, candidate yeah. to discern that they were properly baptized in the Trinitarian formula. You might well be God, correct. Yeah. There's so many different Baptist sects that some of them yeah. might might be baptizing or have baptized in the past in just the name of Jesus. But most mainline Protestant sects uh, from the Anabaptist line originally do baptize in the Trinitarian formula. Gotcha. So if she was baptized conditionally, then her sins would be only from the conditional point forward? or uh, if, if she had to have a conditional baptism, or if anybody had to have a conditional baptism, does that mean they would only have to confess sins from that new conditional baptism forward, or is that if, wrong? If it's a conditional baptism, they still only receive one baptism in their life. In other words, if the first one was valid, but the priest could not ascertain that when the person came in through the RCA program, so he conditionally baptized them just prior to the Easter Vigil, because usually the conditional baptism takes place just before the Easter Vigil. You wouldn't do necessarily a conditional baptism at the Easter Vigil. The Easter Vigil is usually reserved for those who we know need, per se, baptism. They need, per se, to be baptized. So if, if a priest wasn't sure if, the, if, let's say, the Baptist baptism from a few years earlier, whatever number of years earlier, was, was valid, he would conditionally baptize in the Catholic Church a, a night or two, let's say, before the Easter Vigil. And if it was valid, then that conditional baptism does not take place. If it was valid, uh, it, let me back up. If, if it was valid, the conditional baptism does not take effect. If the first baptism was not valid, then the Catholic conditional baptism takes effect. 
Why? Because you can only be baptized once, period. And for a conditional baptism, to answer your, your question directly, yes, usually the person, not usually, will be asked to go to confession uh, to make a, a, a confession of known mortal sins from their Protestant baptism up to the present time of entering the Catholic Church. And if that first Protestant baptism was, was not valid, they still made the confession, which they're still welcome to make, and the Catholic baptism uh, still takes effect, but they're baptized only one time. Yeah, really quickly, Mike, what was your original question? I'm sorry for that side tangent. Yeah, my real quick, uh, I, I was read some concerning things on Faustina's diary, that it was suspended by Pius Twelve because she had the, the Blessed Sacrament apparently flew from the altar and came into her hands, and then she put it back into the altar, and and she had a vision of Christ that said only she was worthy to put it back, and it was kind of like a, it was a suspension of the the uh, her diary yeah. because yeah, what about these that emotions, was a pride Father thing. Wade. Yeah, I I don't know anything about those particulars, but I can tell you this: her writings were at first not approved because of faulty translations into the English from the original Polish. And John Paul II, when he was elected in 1978, within three years of becoming Pope, by 1981, he had experts looking at the writings in the original Polish and looking to have them put it into uh, a proper English translation. And that is the writings that was approved. So if you uh, see the diary made available through the Marians of the Immaculate Conception Publishing House, that is the valid translation of her diary. Next up is Cheryl. She's in Lake Havasu, Arizona, watching us on YouTube today. Cheryl, you're on with Father Wade. Hello, Father Wade. I Hello, have Cheryl. A good que- I have a good question for you. Even though we go to confession and receive absolution, and even though we are born and die with sins, but also for the many that do not believe in purgatory at all, how do we let go of our sins? Uh, I'm not understanding the connection between purgatory or not letting go of your sin. So you're saying you do believe in the sacrament of penance for mortal sin? Is You do believe in that? Is that what you're saying? Well, yeah. It just, we're also told, too, that when we die, we go to purgatory to be cleansed of all of our sins. But well, for the uh, many that do not believe in purgatory, how do we let go of our sins before we die? Okay. Great, great question. First of all, the Church does not teach that you automatically go to purgatory. The Church teaches that you only go to purgatory if at the time of your earthly death you have not yet atoned for your already forgiven mortal and venial sins. Meaning, therefore, Cheryl, that if at the time of your death you have already atoned for the temporal punishment due to your already forgiven mortal and venial sins. You enter heaven immediately. I'm holding up my book, uh, for those of you watching the, the YouTube feed live or the EW10 Radio Facebook live page, I'm holding up the four last things, a catechetical guide to death, judgment, heaven, and hell, my, my short 110-page book that came out in 2017 uh, on this forgotten doctrine of the four last things, the Church's eschatology, death, judgment, heaven, and hell, Four last things, three of which will apply to each one of us personally, death, judgment, heaven, or hell. And I explain this very, very uh, important teaching of the Church. In fact, it's one of the reasons why I wrote the book, is that I met too many Catholics who believe that purgatory was automatic for for the soul. It's not automatic for the soul. It's only automatic if at the time of their earthly death they have not yet atoned for the temporal punishment due for their already forgiven mortal and venial sins, meaning, therefore, that if they 
have already atoned for their temporal punishment while still living on earth for their already forgiven mortal and venial sins, they can enter heaven immediately. This is why my morning offering prayer, which you can find at fathersofmercy.com, just put in the words morning offering uh, at our website on the search bar, and you'll find it right away. Uh, I pray more, every morning, and I say this as a witness, uh, I pray for the greatest of all graces to enter heaven immediately upon my death, thereby asking God for the grace of fortitude and, and, and strength or courage to atone for all temporal punishment now while still living on earth, so that when I do die, I don't have to go to purgatory. Who, who wants to go to purgatory? I mean, it's a beautiful, merciful doctrine, because the holy souls in purgatory are assured heaven. But that said, who wants to go there, right? Um, you know, Mother Angelica called purgatory the vestibule of heaven, or the narthex of heaven, and indeed it is, because again, the holy souls that are there, that's why we call them holy souls, is because they are assured heaven. That said, that's not God's plan A for us. God's plan A for us when we die is to go straight to heaven when we die. His plan B for us, uh, Cheryl, if you want to call it that, is to go to purgatory. So that's the first thing I want to tell you is we don't automatically have to go to purgatory. In fact, God's plan is quite the opposite. God's plan for us is to go straight to heaven, okay? So uh, letting go of your sins means that you move forward now in this life while still, still living and accepting God's mercy, as Father Haggerty says in, in that beautiful meditation in this month's Magnificat magazine, um, accepting God's mercy now and moving forward, because the Holy Spirit doesn't torment with doubt. The Holy Spirit doesn't torment with having the person hang on to their sins. The Holy Spirit brings joy, zeal, and uh, a liberating uh, reality of letting their sins go. And again, I, I, I mentioned those, those five passages uh, of sacred scripture uh, in my springboard. If, if you missed the springboard at the beginning, uh, Cheryl, go back and listen to it. But Luke 9, no one who puts a hand to the plow and keeps looking back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. That's Jesus' own words. That's Jesus talking there in Luke chapter 9. Philippians 3.13, I focus on this one thing and one thing only, St. Paul tells the church members at Philippi, forgetting the past and looking forward only to what lies ahead. 2 Peter 2 verse 22, do not be like a dog that keeps returning to its own vomit. He's quoting Proverbs 26.11 there, St. Peter is, huh? Nor be like a sow that after washing uh, returns to wallow in her mire. Uh, John 8, 11, Jesus tells the woman caught in adultery, so these are Jesus' direct words again, go and sin no more, huh? And Isaiah 12, 2 has the, the prophet Isaiah saying after God's revelation to him, I will go forward confidently now and will no longer be afraid, huh? Uh, For God is the source of my strength, the tower of my defense. The Lord has made himself my protector. So again, uh, the Ten Commandments of Scrupulosity uh, is something you might want to print out there, Cheryl, at fathersofmercy.com, along with my morning offering. Number five is very clear. The Holy Spirit does not torment with doubt and or guilt about our past sins, especially once they've been forgiven and we've received absolution for them. Rather, he always brings peace as he awakens our conscience to our sins, uh, and that's in reference to 2 Corinthians 7, verses 10 and 11, wherein we read, Indeed, sorrow for God's sake produces a repentance without regrets. How beautiful is that? Indeed, sorrow for God's sake produces a repentance without regrets, which stems from God. Huh? Uh, it leads to salvation, whereas one's personal worldly sorrow 
keeps them there in the sorrowful bed. And we need to get out of that sorrowful bed, what's called the, the pity par- uh, party, huh? Uh, get out of the pity party and move forward. I have a good uh, lady friend of mine. She doesn't call it a pity party, Jack. She calls it a pity potty, a <laughs> pity potty, <laughs> because we make ourselves miserable, huh? And we need to move forward. So Cheryl, thank you so much. Again, print out uh, Ten Commandments for those who might struggle with scrupulosity at fathersofmercy.com. Read especially number five of the Ten Commandments, and also uh, print out my morning offering about going straight to heaven, the desire and the zeal to want to go straight to heaven when you die. Thank you so much. Joe is in San Antonio, Texas, listening on Guadalupe Radio. Joe, just a couple minutes left with Father Wade. What's your question today? Okay, Father, real quick. uh, I got uh, confessions uh, scheduled for Saturday before Mass, and I'm going to have to work on Sunday. Can I pre-confess that sin, or do I need to confess it? Or uh, I am are, going to are you able, uh, Joe? In the essence of time here, simple question: Yes or no? Are you able to fulfill your Sunday obligation either at the Saturday vigil mass or one of the Sunday masses, even if it's the Sunday night mass? Can you fulfill your Sunday obligation even though you have to work on Sunday? Yes or no? Yes. Yes. You you can fulfill it. There's nothing to confess. You're being bound to work. It's a necessary form of labor. It's not an unnecessary form of labor. So look at the Fathers of Mercy, a PDF document of our examination of conscience at fathersofmercy.com. On the search bar, just put examination of conscience. The question regarding that sin, if it is a sin, did I do any unnecessary servile labor on Sunday? Did I do any unnecessary servile labor on Sunday? Or was it necessary servile labor? If it was necessary, there's no sin involved. Now, granted, you you can take it upon yourself to try to take extraordinary means to have your Sunday freed up. Can you talk to your immediate supervisor and say, hey, uh, what what's the possibility of me having my Sundays free all the time? Uh, is, is that a possibility? Is that something we might, might be able to work out? So you can take those extraordinary steps, Joe, to try to make that a reality. But until you do, it's it sounds like it's necessary servile labor. And on top of that, you're still able to fulfill your Sunday obligation, and that's a great thing. That's great that your work permits that. Thank you so much, Joe, for a great witness question. Father, if I want to learn more about a vocation to itinerant missionary preaching, where do I go? Well, first you talk to your wife about it, okay? That's the first (laughs) thing. But you go to fathersofmercy.com, Jack. That's where you go. Would you leave us with a blessing? I certainly will, Jack. May the blessing of Almighty God. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit descend upon all of our Open Line Tuesday listeners and remain with each and every one of you this day and always. And as my ink pen says, Jack, St. Joseph, Terror of Demons. Pray for us. On behalf of our host, Father Wade Menezes, our producer, Michael McCall, call screener, Matt Kubensky, and our celebrity social media maven, Mr. Ace McKay. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks for tuning in. Back at it tomorrow with Father Mitch. Until then, God bless. God bless.